our second week of our series, uh, Losing Your Religion. And I just want to, I just want to say this. Religion can be goofy. Right? And I don't mean that in a good way. Religion can be goofy. It can be strange. Um, some of you were here last week when I talked about the Hasidic Jews. Um, put that picture up there, would you? Travis. Now, I decided that maybe this was this was his his profile picture on JewishOnly.com. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's all I can figure. But here's the thing. Now, I saw these folks all over Israel, and especially in Jerusalem. And one, there's one neighborhood that's all that's all are there. We were the only ones that didn't have the hat. Now, it depends on which which group you're with, how special your hat is. I guess the more special your group, the taller the hat, but this one's fuzzy. The thing that, that, that kind of struck me was these, these long locks of hair and they're curly. And I'm thinking, I can't, I can't possibly be a part of the Hasidic Jews because I can't grow that much hair. I guess you could do extensions. I don't know. I don't know what you would do. But anyway, we do goofy things in the name of religion. I don't know what's going on there. Um, got some other pictures, don't I? Now, this is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, what that means is there's a lot of Christians that believe this is actually housing the tomb where Jesus was laid when he was, after he was crucified on the cross. Now, the, this is a structure that's supposed to be holding it up. And I just learned this week that the structure is falling down. The tomb is falling down. Now, personally, I don't believe this is the place. We didn't even go and visit this church. We just walked right by it because we believe it's in another place. There's a story they tell you. And when you walk along the walls of Jerusalem and you see this other place and it looks like Golgotha, it means skull, place of the skull. When you're looking out there and you see this skull in the cliff, you think that's probably where Jesus was buried. But anyway, these, these folks believe this is it. Now, the strange thing is this week, I, I was reading an article about this, about it's falling down. There are three different denominations that actually claim this church. There are Arminians, there are um, Greek Orthodox, and there are Catholics. And they have at various times gotten in fist fights right outside the tomb where Jesus has laid because they disagreed over different things. They said, if you come in there at different times, you can hear loud arguments. You can see fists flying all in the name of religion. Isn't that goofy? That's kind of goofy if you ask me. Next picture. Now, this is actually inside the church. This was part of my problem as I'm going around Israel. You would go to these places and supposedly where somebody did something that's in the New Testament, they'd build this massive structure, millions and millions of dollars. And this is actually the rest of the church of the church of the Holy Sepulcher. This is what's going on. And you see that there's, there's images that's just millions of dollars. And when I would go in this place, I couldn't even enjoy what it was supposed to represent because I'm looking at all this stuff and I didn't like it. When we went to the Sea of Galilee, I love the Sea of Galilee because you can't build a, you know, a cathedral on the sea. Um, I love that. I love the place where Jesus did the sermon on the mount. I loved sitting up there thinking about Jesus talking to thousands of people. It was just awesome. But every time we went to one of these places, it drove me crazy. Next one. Now, what, what I want you to realize is not just over there do we do strange things in the name of religion, and I'm not trying to offend everybody or anybody. Maybe I'm trying to offend everybody. I don't know. You, you may judge that in a minute. But I'm just trying to say that, that even though Arminians, Catholics, Orthodox, they fight... This is a Lutheran church. Now, I don't know if you have a Lutheran background. It doesn't look different. But if you go in there, you'd think this is different. Lutherans have fought with Catholics. Show the Catholic church. I don't know why. We forgot to change that. This one, this one is very, uh, it's blurry. So I don't know why. So it really looks weird, doesn't it? 
Now this is, um, this is from that same Catholic church. This is a seminary that's in there. So I'm assuming the guy with the big hat, um, I'm assuming he's the bishop and then these other guys are graduates of seminary. And, and to, if you've never been in a Catholic church, this looks different, right? Lutherans and Catholics have been fighting all this time. Well, here's another one. And, and I think I actually did that too. This is, this is a church of Christ and it's blurry. I don't know why, but, but nothing against it. I'm just showing you this is a, this is a building where the church of Christ meet. And then here's a building where the Baptists meet. Now, all of that to say, if you were to go into one of those places and you haven't been there before, it would feel weird to you, right? It would feel different. There's a lot of people who come to this church that think this church is weird, right? Now, just in in full honesty, how many of you, the first time you came, you thought our church was weird? Yeah, I was going to say, you better, you're one of them I was going to use, Nicole. Um, there's, wait, do that again. I didn't see everybody. I was making sure Nicole raised her hand. So about a third of the group, you thought we were weird. The first time we started, when we started our church, we met on Saturday night. Keith, they're out of town this weekend, but Keith is usually our electric guitar player. They told Ryan and Andy Pence, we're not going back to that church because it's a cult. We were meeting in a pizza parlor and, you know, we, they had never experienced anything like that. And they said, we're not coming back. About six months later, they came back and tried it again. They figured out we weren't a cult, that we really love Jesus and we were following the scripture and all that stuff. And, and they joined. But a lot of you have come here and you go, this church isn't doing it right. And it says a whole lot more about your background than it does about whether we're a biblically functioning community. Now you can know, all right, you can know if somebody, you just can't compare everything they do to the scripture. And that's what I want to do. If, if you come to me and you say, hey, I had this experience, I'm going to say, what does the scripture say? It's the first thing I'm going to tell you. If you come to me and say, hey, I'm having trouble in my marriage, what does the scripture say? Hey, I'm having a business problem, what does the scripture say? Compare everything to scripture, because we've done some really crazy things in the name of religion. I said last week, religion can be embarrassing, it can be goofy. Well, let me give you some facts about religion. It's on your listening guide. First of all, religion can be superstitious. Right now, let me let me give you a couple examples, then we'll define it. Um, I read this one. If you know this one, kind of nod your head. I'll have you raise your hand just a minute. I did not know that this was even a superstition till this week. I read this this week that if you put anything on top of the Bible, it's bad luck. Does anybody anybody know that one? Okay, there's just, there's several. Of them. I did not know. It's like you know you'll be you'll offend God if you put something on His book and He'll get you. I read last week in the, in this whole series, I read that during the Spanish Inquisition that you could be arrested and tortured if you used the wrong communion wafer. And I was sitting there thinking, we use French bread. What would they do to us? I got a lot more laugh this time, Travis. Travis just put his head down, you know, boom, boom. It went over like a lead balloon in the first service. By the way, let me ask some of you if, if you would be willing to commit to the first service. Two weeks ago on, on Easter, these two center uh, sections were full. It was about, it was about a hundred people. We need about a hundred in that service really feel like it's a lot of fun. So if you'd be willing to do that for, you know, a couple of three months, we, we feel like 100 is, is critical mass in the early service. And if we can get a hundred people, we think we're going to grow from that because we had two weeks ago on Easter, we had 307, um, in here. We could not fit 307 in one service last year. Easter, we had 327. Two years ago on Easter, we had 337. We can't fit everybody in here on a Sunday if everybody shows up. That's why we've gone to two services. We believe that God wants to, us to continue to grow. So if you're willing to come to the 30 service, write that on your card and then give it two or three months and let's see if we can get that thing really to take off. I said religion can be superstitious and, and we laugh at other people being superstitious, but let me ask you something. Have you ever done something in the name of religion 
Even though you didn't know what it was for, you just did it because you were afraid not to do it. Anyone? Anyone, you've done this? Well, let me give you some examples. Superstition. If you do something because you're afraid not to do it, that's superstition. And, and so... What about, what about these? I actually saw a pancake a few years ago that supposedly was the face of Jesus. The pancake was on eBay. They were trying to sell it. That to me is just kind of goofy, right? Um, whenever you see the face of, of Mary in the bark of a tree or in Jesus in a pancake, I just don't understand that people flock from all over the world to see that stuff. That's just goofy to me. And then they build, you know, altars and stuff there. And, and, uh, my, my thing is, how do they know it's Jesus? How do they know it's Mary? Who has a photo to go? Yep. That's Mary. What if it's Sally on the tree? Right. And people are worshiping Sally. Who's Sally? And not, no offense if you're a Sally, but you're not, you're not, you're not Jesus mama. We don't even worship Jesus. Anyway, who, who has a photo of Jesus to go, that potato, that's the spitting image of Jesus Christ right there. I'm selling that on. That's just goofy to me. Um, religion can be very superstitious. We do things thinking we're going to please God and, and, and it doesn't work. Second, religion can be very legalistic. Legalistic is a list of do's and don'ts. If you do this and you don't do this, um, I'll love you. If you don't do this list very well, God won't love you and neither will I. That's, that's legalism. All right. Got a couple of more, uh, pictures here. Um, this is, uh, the church of the annunciation. And, and sometimes I would have to look that up. I'd like, I don't know what that means. Okay. So this is a church in Nazareth. Jesus, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. All right. And Nazareth, um, actually has two places. This is the Catholic church. And then across the town of Nazareth, there's a, there's a Greek Orthodox church. And they both argue saying, no, 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 this is where, this is the spot where the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. Who cares which point it is? But anyway, we, we visited both. It was strange. So now you see this picture. This is where the, they do the mass from the priest would be up here and there's some over here. Now see this big hole in the middle. This is interesting. So you come into this building and I'm telling you, it is massive millions and millions of dollars. It towers over, over the city of Nazareth and you walk in and you have to remove your hat because you know, it's not, it's not honoring God. If you leave your hat on the, the, the bishop has, I don't know. He gets to wear a hat, but I didn't get to wear a hat and you can't talk, but you can take pictures. And you can leave donations. I thought that was strange. We went into one service where a Catholic mass is going on. And they're like, oh yeah, shh, but take pictures. You know, people are taking, I'm going, this is the strangest thing. If you come in here and take pictures, we're liable to tase you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Um, so I just thought this was the strangest thing. But if there's something, if there's any holy place, like Mary's well, the other place that the, the Greek Orthodox, they say this is where the angel appeared to Mary. They also have Mary's well where Jesus came. And people are walking up to the well, and, and it's the strangest thing. You walk through the church, you take your hat off, you walk through the church, there's some priests there making sure you don't get out of line. And you go over, and people are writing prayers on these pieces of paper and throwing them into Mary's well. And I'm going, dude, I hope nobody's drinking out of that water. They done contaminated it. But then there's a bucket right here where the water comes up and you can get some fresh Mary well water and people are doing it and they're genuflecting and I'm going, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Right? Anybody with me? Nobody. Okay. So now this hole is here. So you walk into the, the church of the annunciation and you see this hole and you go over and you look down the hole. Well, then next picture, here's what's down in the hole. It's a whole nother place. So this priest, he's about to serve uh, communion to these nuns here and see the hole back here in the back. That's the spot where the angel showed up. 
you and I can't go in there because we're not holy enough, but there's a priest that can go back there and he changes the bread and the water and stuff back there. And it's just strange to me what we do in the name of religion. Do I have any more? I don't even remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this place. This was one of my favorite places. This is Capernaum. Now you remember Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He didn't do many miracles there. His adopted hometown was Capernaum and he did massive miracles. If you, if you come off this way, I don't have it, but you come up this direction. If I had another picture, um, you'd be able to see where he did the Sermon on the Mount. It's just real close to Capernaum. This is the Sea of Galilee. One of my favorite things. Now here's what's weird about Capernaum. We go into Capernaum and they've got all of these archaeological digs and, and you know, that's the, the big thing. You can't go anywhere without digging down a couple inches and you find something else that happened in Jesus' time, and somebody's going to build a uh, cathedral there. So look at this strange little building here. This is actually a church, and it's built over where they said that that Peter's house was. You know, Peter was, if you're Catholic, a lot of a lot of folks believe that Peter was the first pope, but, but this is built over Peter's house. Now, this is really strange to me. Go inside. Next picture. See this hole here? This is a glass hole where you could see, because up here you do all of the mass and, and the, there was a nun and there was a priest there again, making sure you don't get out of control, but take all the pictures you want and you can't talk. You can step outside and talk, but you can't talk in there, but you look down and it's the archeological dig of Peter's house. And if you read the new Testament, you know that, that, uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and they went to visit and Jesus healed her and then she got up and served him. Well, here's the, what's in the, the, the glass. You look down, that's supposedly Peter's house. Well, whoop-dee-doo. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it still exists. But I think the reason we don't know where the empty tomb of Jesus was is because God didn't want us to worship in it, the, the tomb. How dumb is that? And in fact, here's the interesting thing. The empty tomb that we believe was actually where Golgotha was, the place of the skull. None of the Catholics and Greek Orthodox Armenians, none of them own it. Some private individual came and, and bought the place and it's run by Christians. So a dude that, that took us around on a tour, he's from Germany. We met a guy from Austin. You can actually volunteer to go over and they put you up in a, in a, uh, an apartment and you can be a tour. I'm a tour guide at the empty tomb and it's the most awesome thing in the world to walk around there and they tell you stories about what could have happened. They say, we don't know if this is where Jesus was laid. What we do know is that he was killed. He was raised to life. That's what we know. And so we're like, yes. And we go over and we have the Lord's supper right there in the, in where you can see the tomb and, and we prayed and man, it was awesome because we were celebrating the fact that the tomb was empty. We weren't worshiping the tomb. You with me on that? Is that the last one? Okay. Oh, religion can be superstitious. It can be very legalistic. It can be very judgmental. A lot of you have been judged before in church. And the reason people judge you is because you don't do the list of do's and don'ts well enough. You need to try harder to be a good person. How do you be a good person? Well, it's this list of do's and don'ts. And the interesting thing to me is nobody ever compares, no religious person ever compares himself to Jesus or to God. They compare themselves to other religious people. And if they're better, if they're better at religion than these other people, woohoo, yay! If they're not, boo. Right? Very, very judgmental. Religion can also be very hypocritical. And let me just say this. Nobody does the Christian life as well as they pretend to. Nobody. Not me. Not anybody up here on this stage, not any preacher you have ever known. Nobody does it as well as they pretend to. We're all hypocritical. We don't mean to be. Sometimes we mean to be, let's just be honest. But we're going to embrace it. Here what we say is we're all hypocrites and God is changing us. Praise God we're not what we used to be. But we're not. he's not finished with us. 
right? So, so we say we're just, we're hypocrites. And one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible tells it like it is. If you were here for our right in the eye series in the book of Judges, it said everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And man, there was some crazy stuff. The Bible does not sugarcoat sin. Religion does. Religion covers it over. And that's part of the problem. And the last thing that I put on your your listening is religion takes the focus off of Jesus, puts it on people. Now, I get the idea of religion because we're trying to to bridge the gap between the seen and the unseen, what we know and what we think we know, between the natural and the supernatural, between us and God, and that's a really big gap. And so we do some really goofy stuff in the name of religion trying to bridge that gap. But when you read the scriptures, when you read about the story of Christianity getting started, it's not goofy. People aren't superstitious. They're not judgmental. They're not hypocritical. The story is just so simple. And so I think what we have to do today is admit that sometimes religion actually keeps us from having a relationship with Jesus. So sometimes the best thing you can do is step away from a religious tradition if you want to get close to God. Now, last week, if you were here, if not, you can get the CD or you can go online and and we have a place where you can listen online. Actually, we have 15 years of sermons online if you go to the multimedia and click on audio. We talked about Paul's deconversion story. He was appearing before King Agrippa and he tells the story about how he was deconverted from religion to um, Christianity. And this week we're going to look at a different chapter. We're going to look at chapter 17. And you need to understand that Acts is the, is a book in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and those are the gospels that talk about what happened when Jesus was here. Acts is the next book and Acts answers the question, what happens when Jesus leaves the planet? Last thing he does is he appears to his disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. This is Acts chapter one, verse eight in, in um, Samaria and the utter ends of the earth. And then Jesus goes, boom, he's gone. And Acts answers the question, what happens now that Jesus is no longer on the planet? And much of Acts tells us about what Paul did when he left religion and, and began to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to think about what, what Paul did and how difficult his message was. Because what he was going to do, Jesus, last week we said that Jesus appeared to Paul and, and he said, I want you to go and I want you to tell the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles, that your sins can be forgiven. All right, that was the big simple message from last week. So Paul leaves Jerusalem and he goes to people who aren't Jews and he goes, hey, by the way, Jesus, this Jew, he's God's son. He's not one God out of many gods. He's the one and only son of the one and only true God. So everything you've ever learned from your daddy, from your granddaddy, you need to throw that out because it's wrong. How many of you want that job? I'm going to travel into all the world and I'm going to tell people you're wrong. You're wrong. That sounds like a really tough job, right? So when we get to Acts chapter 17, I'm going to show you that uh, Paul was in Athens. Now, this is a picture of Athens, and and someday I want to do Paul's missionary journey. Um, Just got to do Israel this year. I told you I'm going to take a group in two years, start saving your money if you want to go to Israel uh, with us in two years. But this is Athens, and Athens was quite possibly the most religious place in the ancient world during the biblical times. There were, there were, uh, this is actually the uh, Acropolis up on the hill. Um, There were, there were statues and there were altars and there were temples everywhere to gods, different gods. All right, next picture. So I wanted you to see Jerusalem is way down here. 
Paul traveled all the way. This is actually second missionary journey. Um, and if you read the scripture, if you read all of chapter 17, the first time he's in, uh, up here in Thessalonica. And when he's in Thessalonica, he goes to the Jews in the synagogue. He'd always do this. If there was a synagogue, he would teach there until the Jews, the religious people got mad at him, kicked him out of the, the synagogue. And then this time they were going to kill him. They were going to beat him up. So they, they sneak him out of the city of, of Thessalonica. He goes to Berea. In Berea, he finds some people that aren't, aren't that religious, but they love the Old Testament scriptures. And when Paul starts teaching, it says the Berean Christians studied the scripture every day to see what, if what Paul was saying was true. And that's what I want for our congregation. Don't you ever believe a preacher just because he says it's true. You study the scripture. And if it's wrong, you confront him in the name of Jesus. Right? That's what I want for you is to be Berean Christians, new life Christians that, that pattern themselves after the, the folks in Berea. Now, Berea is 45 miles from Thessalonica. How far is it from Thessalonica? Paul is preaching there and he's having this great time. And somehow people, the Jews that didn't like him in Thessalonica, hear that he's in Berea. I think an angry deacon went and told him, but that's just my theory. That's not in scripture. That's, that's just what I'm sticking with. So the angry deacon goes and tells him these mad Jews come and they run him out of Berea. So you have to realize Paul was a missionary of God. Satan also has missionaries who oppose the missionaries of God. And these religious Jews were actually being used by Satan to drive Paul out of Berea. Cool thing is some people in Berea believed and churches started there. Paul then leaves Berea and he goes down to Athens. All right. Now, when he's in Athens, they had to sneak him out again because they thought he might die. They thought something bad might happen to him. And so they take him to uh, Athens and he doesn't have his traveling companions, which is Timothy and Silas. And so he says, when they leave him there, he says, go back and get them. I'm going to stay in Athens until Timothy and Silas get here. We picked, um, Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his companions, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, when you have statues everywhere, every kind of Greek God and goddess, it means that you're very religious it just doesn't mean that you're very sure that you're right. They agreed there was something out there, but nobody could agree on what. So let's just have all these different Greek gods and goddesses and let's make statues and let's worship them. So look what happens next. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day to day with those who happened to be there. So Paul goes to first Monday in Canton and he's just talking about Jesus. He goes to Starbucks. He's talking about Jesus. He's walking up and down old, old town Palestine. He's talking about Jesus because when you've seen a dead man walking and talking, you can't shut up about that. So Paul's talking about Jesus everywhere he goes. Look what happens next. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Okay, Epicureans followed a guy named Epicurus. He was an, an atheist. Way back in those times, they had atheists. He believed that, that you live life and then you die and nothing happens. So he would teach his followers, you need to live it up. You need to party. You need anything your body wants, you need to put that in. Food, sex, whatever it is. You live it up because then you're going to die. So the, the Epicureans were the doers. Let's, let's have fun and then we die. The Stoics, now the Stoics were the thinkers. They were, let's debate everything until everybody wants to pull their eyes out. We actually met one of these guys in Israel. He was our first tour guide. After four days, we fired him and got another tour guide. Because, this is what he told us. We asked him if he was a Christian. He said, well, he said, we're Messianic. And we said, well, Messianic Jews believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We're not sure. We said, well, where, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church and I don't worship anything. Of course, my, my antenna goes up. Don't worship anything. He said, 
In fact, a thinking man can be right about something when he's debating another thinking man and the other thinking man can be right too. And I'm going, say what? And then he said, this is a direct quote. He said, in fact, in our belief system, you can have 70 scholars and they can all disagree and they're all right. And I'm sitting on the back seat of this 12 passenger van and I looked at my sister-in-law and I said, he's full of crap. There's no way 70 people who have different ideas because you can't even find two in this world that agree. There's one. Jesus said, I'm life. There's one, Jesus said, way to heaven. So if the others don't agree about who Jesus is, they're wrong. I don't care how smart you think you are. And there were times he would say something. So he, he doesn't believe in the new Testament, but he believes in the old Testament. And one time I said, dude, that contradicts the scripture. And I quoted the scripture to him. That's the old Testament. And my brother pulled him aside and he said, man, we're Christians. And we, you know, we've all been three pastors, three seminary graduates, you know, in the van. And he said, well, that's fun. We can debate. And my brother said, we really want you to shut your mouth. And, and Janie can tell you on the back seat, my, my niece was sitting over here. My sister was here. Janie and my other sister-in-law had to sit up front cause they're car sick. And so they're up there. And so I'm in the back cause I don't care where I am. And, and, and my, my niece, who's almost 30 years old, he would say something about this site we were coming to. And if I rolled my eyes, she'd put her headphones in. She'd say, I just look at you, Uncle Doug. If you roll your eyes, I figure he's, he's stupid. So she puts her headphones in, doesn't listen to him. And we would go to these places. Like we went to the, the place where the, the sermon on the Mount was and we're talking, we read the scripture and it's awesome. And he starts talking about something. Well, this really isn't the sermon on the Mount's place. And my brother said, dude, shut up. And then we called and we got him replaced when we got to, uh, back to Jerusalem. We couldn't get him replaced till we got to Jerusalem. We get into Jerusalem. Our second guide was awesome. He's a believer. And, and what was cool is when you go to the temple Mount, so that's where the, the, if you see the dome of the rock nowadays, that's called the temple Mount. So there's a, there's a Muslim mosque and, and they built over the, the rock where they say that, that Abraham uh, sacrificed Ishmael. Anyway, the temple used to be there. But if you go to the temple, you can't take a Bible. You can't take ear. You can't wear earrings that have a cross. You can't have any religious symbols whatsoever when you go up there. And, and so what was cool was we couldn't take all that stuff. And we had our, our phones, you know, and had scripture on there until my phone blew up. But anyway, um, he would have, he would print out papers with the scripture on it. And he go, you want to read the scripture? And we're like, you can't have a Bible. And he goes, it's a piece of paper. We're like, this is awesome. We're breaking the law in Jerusalem. We like to break laws. Um, anyway, this, this first guide was, would be a stoic. And he would debate things. See, the, the Epicureans are like, you need to enjoy life because you're going to die. The Stoics are like, you need to endure life. You need to figure it out. And then Paul comes along and he says, you need to enter new life. That's, that's a crazy message that they'd never heard before. So look what happens. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And so somebody goes, he's adding another God. And, and most of them would probably go, that's okay. But, but they missed the point. Look, look what he says. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. See, they weren't getting it. Paul wasn't saying, I've got another God to add to your list. You know, this is a God. He wasn't saying this is a God who's related to Zeus. He's his great, great granddad. No, no, no. Paul was saying, you see all of these altars, all of these temples, you need to blow them all up and you need to follow Jesus because Jesus was dead and he came back to life. And none of your gods did that. He needs, you need to start over. 
So Paul went from, see, in the, in the Greek religion, it was kind of an out there thing that people made up. And, and their gods and goddesses sure had a lot of human elements. If you've ever read any Greek mythology, they have a lot of human elements. They get jealous and they fight over stuff and, and it's just, it's just goofy. And Paul says, no, 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 it's not an out there God. It's not something that somebody made up. Paul says the God that you need to follow, it's a current event. If you don't believe me, we can hop on a boat and go about a thousand miles and we can talk to the eyewitnesses who saw him rise from the dead. And see, this blew their minds because they didn't have current events in their belief system. Next verse. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. And, and I told the first service, when I was reading this, I'm sorry, my mind is just funky sometimes. And, and I actually said it out loud and I messed it up and it sure sounded like Snuffleupagus. How many of y'all know Snuffleupagus from, from, yeah, showing my age from Sesame Street? And it just frustrated me that nobody could see him, you know? Anyway, I was traumatized as a kid. So the Areopagus, the Areopagus is a court where they would bring people who have new ideas and they would let you speak and they would decide if you were qualified with this message to go out into the marketplace. So they bring him to the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Now look at this. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. How rich do you have to be that you don't go to work? You just sit around, tell me the latest idea. That's how they were. And Paul says, no, 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 we're not going to debate. Jesus didn't stay dead, so you should follow him. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. That's an understatement. Altars, temples, everywhere to all these gods. He says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, isn't that goofy? You, you're so religious. You even have an altar to an unknown God. Now this is awesome. Now what you worship as something unknown, the literal translation is what you worship in ignorance. I'm about to tell you about, I'm going to proclaim to you. You see the, the Greeks and the Romans, they believed in all these different gods and this God helps with rain and this God helps with raising crops and this God helps you have children. And, um, they're related to one another because this one married this one and this one got mad at this one. And, and, and they said, we know all of these gods, but let's acknowledge what we don't know. Let's admit that maybe there's a God out there somewhere we haven't met yet. And here's a great idea. Let's build an altar to him. So if he ever shows up, we can say, look how religious we were. We have an altar to you. Aren't we smart, right? Even though they were very religious, they weren't very certain. So they built an altar to a just in case God, just in he shows up just in case we're wrong about this thing. Let's, let's build a just in case altar. And we think that's really goofy until you start examining our culture. Hey bud, where do you go to church? Well, I don't really go to church. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I go to church once or twice a year. Well, well when do you go? Christmas and Easter. Well, do you believe in Jesus? No. Well, why do you go? Just in case. Just in case it's real. I go on those days. Hey, bud, do you go to church somewhere? Well, no, I'm not really religious. But but I go to confession once a year, maybe every other year. Why do you believe that priest has a special relationship with God? Well, no, I'm not really religious at all. So why do you go to confession? Just in case. Just in case this God that everybody else says is real is really real. I don't want to offend a God that I haven't even met yet. So just in case, I'm going to be religious once or twice in my lifetime. That's odd to me. 
Paul says to these folks, you admit something you don't know. He said, let me tell you, because I've met this God that you don't know yet. What he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So here's the first lesson that Paul teaches them. God is bigger than your religion. He says, see that temple over there? God won't fit. In fact, if you put all of your temples together, they're still not big enough for God. And I told you my mind is weird. And, and, and when I'm reading this, I thought of Veggie Tales, the very first Veggie Tales. And the song was, God is bigger than the boogeyman. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. And he's watching out for you and me. That's good theology right there. You should learn that song. Maybe we'll sing it next week in worship. We used to sing that to our kids. We would watch it. And if our kids were scared at night, man, I'd go in there and bust out the boogeyman song because God's bigger. Paul says God won't fit in the box that you've created for him. And then he says, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives uh, all men life and breath and everything else. See, what they would do, they would build these temples, they would build these altars, and then they would bring food to them. Go grocery shopping. Well, they didn't, you know, go pull some squash and go give it to God. Why? Because maybe he's hungry. They, they would bring clothing to their God. And I'm going, why? And maybe he needs clothes. He's not a very good God if he can't get his own food and clothing. They bring all of this stuff and they offer it to him. And Paul goes, God doesn't need anything. This unknown God, he says, he's the creator of everything you see. He doesn't need you at all. What he says next. From one man, he made every nation of men should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. With this one statement, this verse right here, Paul completely wipes out the beliefs of all the Romans and the Greeks that there are many gods in many places because they had gods of, of, of the valley and gods of the hills. In fact, in the Old Testament, one time, the Canaanites were defeated because the Israelites were up in the hills in the, in the promised land. And they said, well, their God is a God of the hills. If we get them down here on the plains, our God of the plains, they'll help us beat him. And that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They're making stuff up to fit their reality. And Paul said, no, 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 there's not many gods in many places. They're not a God of the sun, the moon, the stars. There is one God. He's created it all. And you need to worship him. Next, he says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, the whole purpose behind religion was good to reach out to God. But the problem is we got our eyes off of God. We got our eyes on religion. Instead of worshiping the creator and glorifying him, we've worshiped the created things and glorified ourselves. That's religion. What he says next, for in him, we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said, we're his offspring. And they're going, that's true. We're, we're God's offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. He's saying these temples, they can't begin to, to compete with how big God is. And in fact, Greek religion sure, sure had, they worshiped these, these gods that had all of the same attributes as men. That's just weird. And then Paul says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, in the past, you didn't know what God was like, but now you don't have an excuse. Now, if you've ever been in a Baptist church, you've heard the word repent. And a lot of people say that repent means you're walking one direction and you change directions and go this way. Repent actually means to change your mind. 
See, in this society, the Greeks and the Romans, they believed that your mind was everything. And if you were smarter than other people, you were better than other people. And Paul says, you need to look at all of this stuff, blow it up and change your mind and follow the only God who died but didn't stay dead. Look what he says. Well, first he says, I'm telling you, this is new and God's done it in your generation. Next, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The good news is you're seeking God. The bad news is your God is too small. The good news is that the unknown God has made himself known to you through Jesus. And because he knew we would be skeptical, they would be skeptical, we would be skeptical, he decided to prove it in history, not in theology, not in philosophy, not in religion. He proved it by an event in history where Jesus Christ raised from the dead. By the way, if you hadn't seen God's Not Dead, you need to go. Because two of the guys that are on the witness stand, they're actual um, guys who, who go out and they're apologists for, for Christianity. It was really cool to hear them on the, on the stand. Last three verses, four verses. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, so they began to ridicule, some of them did, the word of God. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, what I want to do is try to bring all of this to today. Maybe you had a bad religious experience. Maybe you did something and you offended a religious person. See, don't, don't just blame religion. Religion has a good idea. There's a God out there. We need to find him. But Christianity has a better idea. Christianity says God came to find you. God has reached out to us. You don't have to wonder what he looks like because God actually sent us a person to show what he's like. Paul, who we're just talking about in Colossians wrote this Colossians 1 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. You don't have to wonder what God is like. He showed us in Jesus. So let me give you some statements and then we're done. Religion asks who is right. You can have 70 opinions and be right in some religions. Christianity asks who is Jesus. Religion asks what's true. Christianity asks what happened. Religion asks what's do I make to get God's attention? Christianity says, no, no, no. God made a sacrifice on your behalf. So you need to realize this. Jesus is not religion 2.0. He's not something that you add on to all of your religious activity. Jesus is the answer to the question, who is God? He walked in history. He died in history. He raised from the dead in history so we would know what Jesus, uh, what God looked like. The message of the Bible, Bible is so much more simple than religion has made it. So last week I told you that, that the message that Jesus gave to Paul was your sins can be forgiven. The message that he gave him this week that he's, that he's sharing with us is God has reached out for you. So here's, here's what I want you to remember from today. If you focus on Jesus, your doubts about religion are going to get bigger. But your doubts about God are going to get smaller. Because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And there's only one of them. Do you bow your heads for a moment? I don't want you to look at people. I don't want you to look at religion. I want you to look at Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself right, right there when you're praying. Ask yourself, have there been times that you focused more on religion than you have on Jesus? If that's true of you, would you just raise your hand real quickly, put it back down? Been times you've been religious and, and okay. 
I want you to focus on Jesus this week and see if your doubts don't begin to shrink. Father, would you change us from the inside out? Would you open our minds to to see the truth that not only did you live in history, but you died in history and you were raised to life in history, never to die again. That makes you different than anyone else. And if there's somebody here today who does not know you, I pray that, that they'll take another step towards you, towards entering the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.